Hello, everyone. Welcome to Eternity, where love never fails. Hello, everyone. Thanks for listening. This is the Eternity Bible Study Podcast, where we walk through the Bible together every weekday, Monday through Friday. We're podcasting from here in the United States and in Zambia with a goal to share our thoughts and encourage one another as we read God's Word together verse by verse. My co-host in Zambia, Matali, and I are both listening to Through the Bible Podcast and then sharing our thoughts and encouragement with you. From America to Africa and everywhere else, God is in control. As always, our attribution goes to Through the Bible with Dr. J. Vernon McGee. So if you've ever wanted to try to read the Bible every day, we hope you can join us. We're regular people just like you, trying to learn more about God and walk in step with His Holy Spirit. So if you have your Bible, feel free to read along. And if not, no problem. We'll put it all together for you. So let's get started. We're in the book of the Song of Solomon, which is the described as the greatest love story of all, the greatest love story in the Bible, a love story between a country girl who's like our Cinderella figure here and uh, this young man that she's in love with. They're engaged. Um, she is the bride. He is the bridegroom. And... Um, the overview of the story, again, as we've said, she falls in love with him but doesn't really realize he's a king. And then she'll get separated uh, from the king uh, or from her bridegroom. And then she'll realize uh, at one point that it's it's the king or the it, King Solomon. Um, a few different interpretations on whether that is really King Solomon or just a sort of this king figure. But in any event... Um, that's the gist of the love story. It's kind of like a Cinderella love story. Um, um, it's also a love story of Jesus Christ for the nation of Israel, the Father in heaven for the nation of Israel. Uh, Jesus Christ was described as the 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 um, the bridegroom, uh, and his bride was an unfaithful bride. Uh, as uh, it's described in the book of Jeremiah, as in other books. Uh, and then, of course, the bride falls away from faith in God, falls away f- in in uh, um, um, trades that faith, trades that relationship for other um, for other gods, and of course, uh, they lose the presence of God. And then, uh, because they lose His protection, other nations come in and. Um, Basically, the nation is almost destroyed, and so the sin, the sin that uh, um, the nation experiences, um, makes the nation ugly in their sin. And of course, the bridegroom has so much love for the bride; he looks past his sin and he pledges that he will return for the bride uh, one day and reclaim her and actually lay down his life to reclaim his bride. And so it's a story also of Jesus Christ's love for his church uh, and to establish his church as Jesus Christ came to lay down his life uh, for this uh, for the unfaithful bride and also his, his promise looking forward that he will one day come back to reclaim his church, to reclaim his bride. Uh, and that will be the day 
of, uh, of the Lord, the day of the Lord, where all judgment is rendered, but also he reestablishes his presence, his church, and he comes back to, uh, to earth, not as in, in, uh, um, as a poor uh, servant-type uh, figure, but he comes back as a king. And so it's sort of a parallel story here uh, in the Song of Solomon. So that being said, we are in, uh, in the fifth chapter, and what happens uh, at this point is the bridegroom was in her room. She was sleeping. Uh, there was a knock at the door, a sound, and uh, the bridegroom uh, is outside knocking, and he says, open to me, my sister, my love, my dove, my perfect one. Um, so uh, this is in verse 2. And so this is a is an analogy to he's coming back for the bride. Now, in these times, it, it was the custom for the bridegroom to go away and then come back at some point, some unannounced time to reclaim his bride. So it's kind of part of the celebration. Uh, the bride would have, the, the bride would have been super excited, you know, for this event to occur. The bride would be just, there would be a lot of celebration because it would be something where the bridegroom would come back to officially reclaim the bride. It's Part of the celebration. So at this point, he's come. He's knocking at the door. He's been outside, and uh, so um, this was part of of their customary um, uh, uh, ceremonial type thing when the bridegroom would come. And so um, it's also um, it's also sort of an analogy when. Um, Christ says in Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. So it's, a, it's an analogy to Christ returning for his church. He's standing at the door. He's standing at the door and knocking for all of us. That if we hear, if we just open the door, he will come in and eat. And of course, earlier in verse 5, he's talking about eating with abundance. And so, not only eating with abundance, but eating being almost, it's described as drunk with love. In other words, abundant love. He has so much love, and he's just ready to come in and dwell with us and eat with us. So what happens, what has happened in verse 3 the bride hesitates. She says, I had I just put off my garment, verse 3. How can I put it back on? I just bathed my feet. How can I soil them? So she hesitates. She's, you know, supposedly uh, supposed to be super excited because she's here. And, you know, whether this is uh, officially part of the celebration, I mean, we can sort of, a, we can surmise uh, this. But, um... In any event, she hesitates, doesn't quite get up. And then um, we see in verse 4, My beloved put his hand to the latch, and my heart was thrilled within me. I rose, then she gets up, I rose to open to my beloved, and my hands dripped with myrrh, and my fingers with liquid myrrh. This is verse 5, on the handles of the bolt. And we read this yesterday. This would have been the custom of, of uh, when... 
uh, it's an extra special touch that when the bridegroom would have put his hand in, to, that there's like a, an opening in these doors that would let you reach in from the outside to unlatch it and then come in. But if you wanted to, to treat the person with sort of extra special um, a touch, you would put a fragrant oil on the door handle from from the outside to the inside so that the inside now would have the fragrance of the oil on the handle so that when you open the door your hands would have the fragrance too it's just an extra special sign of endearment for one to another and so um the hands here were dripped with myrrh liquid myrrh and of course that's the spice um that jesus uh, was uh, had received when he laid down his life for um, for all of us. He laid down his life for the bride. So it's kind of like a sign um, in this story that this is a bridegroom who is marking this. This is a bridegroom marking this bride that he will he will lay down his life for her with this myrrh. This is the 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 um, the oil of. Uh, that they used to to dress his body with. So then the bridegroom, and now we're taking up in verse 6. This is where we're taking up today. I included these earlier verses just for context today. Uh, But in verse 6, I opened to my beloved, but my beloved had turned and gone. So in other words, she didn't open the door right off the bat. And so he was out there, but... Um, because of this hesitation, she lost the ability for him to come in. The, the timing wasn't right. And so then she says, my soul failed me when he spoke. So in other words, she's realizing that he um, he was out there. He was out there knocking for her. He wanted to come in. He was calling to her. She heard him, but she didn't quite answer the call. She was questioning all these other things that, you know, I hate to get up. I just wash my feet. You know, do I have to put my robe back on? All these things. And when that happens, she lost his ability to, to, to come in. He didn't stay. His She lost his presence. We don't have a timeline on that, but, but, it, but in any event... Uh, she realizes that my soul failed me when he spoke. And then she goes around. She, she says, I, I sought him, but found him not. I called him, but he gave no answer. Now in verse 7, the watchman found me. So they're out there like, the I guess, the policemen. Or the, they're, um, they're out walking around. They found me as they went about the city. They beat me and bruised me. They took away my veil, those watchmen of the walls. So maybe she's not supposed to be out. Maybe something, um, uh, you know, they're out, and for whatever reason, um, they they actually beat her, left her bruised. Um, we're not exactly sure. We can just surmise. Um, in any event, she has lost the protection of her her bridegroom, and she's walking around out um, where she's not supposed to be. Apparently, maybe outside in the in the nighttime. So, <clears throat> in any event, um, it's it's an analogy of being separate from God, just as the nation of Israel was separate from God. And we were, um, and as we study in the book of Jeremiah, when the nation of Israel 
turned away from God. Jeremiah told him over and over and over, you've got to repent. You've got to accept. You've got to accept God. You've got to turn away from your sins. And of course, they didn't. And then, of course, the the nation of Israel um, loses the presence of God. And then they the nation of Israel is is beaten and bruised. And they lost their their veil, their the veil of the of the bridegroom. I mean, they lost the veil of the bride. Sorry. So this nation of Israel was described as the bride. And so this nation then sort of loses this status of a bride with the bridegroom. Okay, because they go into slavery. The Assyrians come in and take them into slaves. And then, then after that, the Babylonians come in and take them into slaves. Okay, they lose this protection. And of course, then the Romans come in. So I think this is a, an analogy to what happens when we lose the presence of Christ in our lives. And even today, when we think about it, we take sometimes the presence of Jesus Christ for granted how critical it is. Do we think we're any? Uh, do we think we're in any less trouble if we don't have Christ in our lives than the nation of Israel did? No. It's 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 the same. If we if we turn away from Him when He's knocking at the door of our heart, and we're walking without His presence, He knows how dangerous it is for us. He knows how close to death we are without Him. And as the bridegroom eventually looks past the sins of the bride, He comes back and lays down His life for the bride. So, um, now in verse 8, she says, I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, if you find my beloved, that you tell him I'm sick with love. She's t- telling her friends, she's telling other these other sort of this chorus, group of chorus people in our imaginary opera here. She's telling the people who, these ladies who are just kind of singing the chorus line, if you see him, if you can find him, tell him I'm sick with love. And then this chorus group answer back in our imaginary opera. We're down in... Uh, Verse 9 now, what is your beloved more than another beloved? In other words, what's so special about him? O most beautiful among women, what is your beloved more than another beloved that you thus adjure us, that you just ask or plead with us? You know? This is sort of like the question in society that gives back to anyone who's seeking Christ. What is so special about him? What is so special about him more than than all these other things? You know? Or why do you have to make him number one? Why do you have to make him the center of your heart? There's just a lot of other things going on right now. And it's always the same thing with us today. We have so many things competing with our hearts. And it doesn't have to be the false idols of Baal back in the Old Testament times. It could be these new idols that we have, all the different things. You know, what do you what do you put your faith in today? Is it is it your politics? Is it the economy? Is it your job? Is it your education? Is it being liked by other people, friends? Or is it some sense of prestige? You know, all of these things are kind of false idols for us today. So what's so special about putting the Lord first? 
So now we're in verse 10, and then she answers these questions, these central questions. And this is describing Christ in her words. Verse 10, my beloved is radiant and ruddy, distinguished among 10,000. Of course, Christ is described as light, the light of the world. His head is fine as gold. His locks are wavy, black as a raven. His eyes are like doves beside streams of water. In this analogy to doves, is something pure. Doves would have been something that they used to sacrifice. You know, back in the day, they could sacrifice a sheep or a goat or a cow, an oxen. Depending on how much money you had to spend, if you, if you didn't own one, you would buy one. But if you didn't have a lot of money, the cheapest thing to buy would be a dove. It was a, it was a humble offering. You know, because the even Joseph and Mary, they didn't have... Uh, a lot of money, but when they when they get, uh, I believe it was when they get to Bethlehem, they they had sacrificed, um, or when they got to Jerusalem, like they're supposed to, they sacrificed two doves. Okay, that's probably all they could afford, but it was a it was a sacrifice of humility, but it was a sign of purity. And the bridegroom had described the bride's eyes as like doves. When she looked at him, in other words, when we're eye, when our eyes are on Christ, it honors him, and he feels wonderful inside, and just like the love of a bridegroom, when the bride looks at him, how do you think that makes the bridegroom feel? Makes him feel so special inside. Well, that's sort of an insight into Christ's heart for His church, His Christ's heart for um, each one of us. If we really appreciated and really knew how much Jesus Christ loves each one of us, we probably couldn't even live with ourselves. And when we look at Him, when we keep our eyes on Him, it honors Him, it elevates Him, it makes Him feel so good, just like the bridegroom would feel when the bride looks and keeps her eyes only on Him. And to Him... Those eyes are like doves. And what does that mean again? We've said this before. It means to Jesus Christ, to the bridegroom, the eyes looking on him are like offerings of purity. It's like offerings of worship when your eyes are focused on him. It's the purest thing in his eyes is to have our eyes back on him. Okay, so she describes his eyes too, just like doves, pure. Um, his cheeks are like beds of spices, mounds of sweet-smelling herbs. Okay, so he, he's, again, another analogy to the fragrance of Christ. The fragrance, um, and we see uh, so many um, references uh, to that, but... We see it in Second uh, Corinthians chapter two, verses fourteen. Um, verses fourteen and fifteen. But thanks be to God in who is in Christ, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal triumphal procession, and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. 
For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. Christ leads us. Not only leads us in his footsteps, leads us in his humility, leads us in his knowledge, but when Christ walks in the room, when Christ is around us, he, he, we, there's an aroma, there's a fragrance of the knowledge of him. His presence is an aroma. His presence is a fragrance. And that's how she describes him too. He's, he has an aroma. And we, in turn, become that aroma too of God. And so she's describing him even more. And his lips are lilies dripping with liquid myrrh. His lips, what his, and, and his, as uh, he described earlier back uh, that um, um, he described her as a lily of the valley back in uh, chapter 2, verse 1. He's a rose, a rose of Sharon, a lily of the valley. As a lily among brambles. So is my love among the young women. So as he talks about um, his love is like a lily. We, um, as we said before, that Jesus Christ, it, it's, a, it's an analogy to Christ and Christ's love. But Jesus talked about lilies of the field back in uh, Matthew chapter 6, verse 28. And as he was talking about being anxious about life, he says, And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon, kind of a head nod back to Solomon, in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is today alive and tomorrow thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? Oh, you of little faith. Therefore, don't be anxious about anything. What shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? He says down in 33, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. His lips are like the lilies. And what comes through his mouth, through his lips, just like the parable of the lilies, his words to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness without any anxiety about earthly things. And all these things will be added to you. That's what his lips are. And drip, dripping liquid myrrh, another sign of the aroma of Christ, but also the aroma of his sacrifice. Okay? To, and so... Um, just another uh, sort of analogy to the lilies of the field. They they're growing without any anxiety, and it's just an it's just the parable is to to seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Put you have to do that number one, and it kind of circles back to earlier in chapter five when he's knocking at the door waiting for her to open it and then she's questioning whether she needs to get up or not or other issues you know like you just do i need to 
you know, I have to, have to put all, put my garment back on. It's going to take me some time to do all that. I just take all this stuff off or I just bathe. I just had my bath. I just, you know, got my feet. I don't want to get them dirty, you know. And she hesitates and loses that presence, that that cherished presence, okay? And just as his, his lips are like these lilies, it's a circling back to saying, before you do anything else, you have to seek my presence. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, okay? Because his righteousness is what's going to save you. His righteousness is what's going to save the unfaithful bride. Okay, because in this little analogy, this bride loses the presence and then gets beaten by the night watchman and bruised and lost her wedding veil. Okay, or lost her veil. Okay, so she loses the presence. And it's, it's another analogy to, to the nation had lost the righteousness from God. And when they lost the righteousness from God, the nation was beaten and lost its veil, its status as the bride. Okay? So it's sort of another analogy to when we don't put God first, when we don't seek the righteousness or the kingdom of God. And the reasons we don't is because we're anxious about things. You know, just like the lilies of the field, you know, they're not anxious. But we're, if we let our anxieties about our clothes or our needs or what shall we, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear or all the other things that the Gentiles seek. You know, Jesus is telling them then that your heavenly father knows you need all these things, but it doesn't matter. You have to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Okay, so. Um, a really cool uh, internal storyline here about this. And then she goes together, she continues to describe him about his arms are like gold, his body's like ivory, his legs are like columns set on gold, his appearance is like Lebanon, choice is the cedars, just all these positive attributions. She's defending now Christ back to these uh, this chorus of of other women here who are saying what's so special about this person. And so this is a personal relationship. And as McGee points out, to bear witness about Christ, to defend Christ, you have to love him. You have to be putting him first in your life. That's the only way to defend Christ. That's the only bear way to bear witness to Christ. It's to have that personal relationship with Christ. And as McGee says, it's faith in Christ plus nothing else. It's nothing you did. It's everything about what he's done for you. And you have that righteousness that comes from him. She says, his mouth is most sweet and he's altogether desirable. Or in other words, altogether lovely. This is my beloved. And this is my friend, O daughters of Jerusalem. It's a very personal description, a very personal relationship. And McGee points out time and time again that Christianity is not a religion. Christianity is a relationship. And without that relationship with Jesus Christ, we don't have His presence. We don't have His 
Um, if we don't know him, how can we defend him? If he's if we claim to know him, but he's not number one in our hearts when he's knocking, how can we have his presence? So this is a a beautiful story, uh, not only uh, in our imaginary little Cinderella, uh, our, our little opera, our opera going on here, our Cinderella love story, the bride. Uh, has lost the presence of the bridegroom <clears throat> and suffered. Suffered because her soul had failed her. Just like the nation of Israel. And um, let's let's think about when, when our soul fails us, how do we feel? It's devastating. It's devastating to lose the presence of God. It's devastating to lose Christ in our life. And our Father in Heaven knows we need all these things. Our Father in Heaven knows that these things are important to us. But if we let these earthly things, if we let the little practical things, the little foxes that we talked about earlier, get in the way, then we can lose His presence. And then, as she says, she was cut to the soul. She says, my soul failed me. This down in verse 6. But when you think about that, look what, if we, if we jump over to Psalm 23, He says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I don't need anything. Okay, so if the Lord is your shepherd, you don't need to have anxiety about all these earthly things. Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. That's back in Matthew chapter 6, verse 28. But back in, in Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I don't need anything. I don't need to be anxious. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. Okay. And so she describes him as eyes like doves beside streams of water. And then what does it say? He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies and anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You can think of this as the sheep. You can think of Psalm 23 as the bride speaking about the bridegroom because she's going to be restored. Her soul that failed her. Down in chapter 5, verse 6, the soul that failed her is going to be restored. The nation of Israel that failed God the Father will be restored. He promises that. Because He will lead us in righteousness because what He has done for us
So, Psalm 23, a beautiful answer to that question of what happens when our soul fails us. He's going to restore us. So, I hope this was helpful and encouraging to you. Again, it certainly is to me. Song of Solomon, beautiful, beautiful love story. Just um, amazing, um, amazing insight into the love that the Lord Jesus has for His bride, for His church, for each one of us. So, From me to all of you, God bless you. Keep your heart centered on Christ. I'll see you next time. And now I'll turn it over to Matali. Take it away. Hello. So today's teaching is coming from the Song of Solomon, chapter 5, verses 6, all the way through to verse 16. So I'll get right into scripture. Um, Chapter 5, verse 6 reads, I opened... For my beloved, but my beloved had turned away and was gone. My heart leaped up when he spoke. I sought him, but I could not find him. I called him, but he gave me no answer. So here we see the Shulamite girl goes and opens the door for her beloved, but he's gone. So this is... um, If we we, we relate it in our Christian faith in our lives today, you know... Um, you find fellowship gets broken with um, the Holy Spirit and fellowship gets broken. That fellowship we're supposed to have with the Lord, it gets broken. And there are two things here that uh, may lead to us Christians losing fellowship with the Holy Spirit. And, you know, the first thing is, you know, the Holy Spirit um, is... um, you know, is prompting us to do something or to go a certain way and we want to do our own things and go our own way. And, you know, that way the Holy Spirit becomes, you know, gets quenched. And then the other thing um, where we tend to lose fellowship with the Holy Spirit is due to sin. You know, we fall out of the will of God. Um, We tend to think, you know, I'm doing this out of faith or, you know, I'm doing... um, you know, you, you tend to sin just because, you know, you have been saved, you've received Christ, and you, you want to still go back to your old nature and live your life the old way. So we tend to fall out of the will of God, and, you know, we tend to, to say, you know, my prayers don't get answered, you know, God, like, there's nothing happening and all, but it's because we've fallen out of favor and out of will, um, you know, um, out of God's will, uh, because, you know, we're trying to, to, to live a lukewarm life. We're trying to, to be the do-gooder. You know, like um, in, in the book of Ecclesiastes, you know, you find somebody who's living in the middle way of life because you're trying to be, like, not hold, not cold. You're just trying to be lukewarm because you're trying to impress everybody. And in the end, you know, you, you know you, we, we fall out of the will of God. So, um, so in this particular instance, in, 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 in uh, verse 6, you, we see, you know, that fellowship is broken between the bride and, um, and um, you know, her beloved. The bride has lost fellowship. Um, so what are we doing for God, you know, in order for us to keep engaging and to, to have that fellowship with God? You know, are we doing something for God? Let us do service and let us do something for God. Let us, um, let us just not sit and, and, and wait and just, you know, in that comfort zone, like in the previous chapters, you know, um, um, in, 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 um, in, um, chapter th- in, in the previous story, uh, verses, like in verse three, um, you know, you find, um, 
verse three reads, I have taken off my shoes, my robe. These are like excuses. Like, you know, when we are nudged by the Holy Spirit to do something, or we're supposed to do, you know, something for the will of God, for the service of God. You know, um, I have taken off my shoes. How can I put on, how can I put it on again? I have washed my feet. How can I defile them? Um, you know, God is always nudging and knocking on our door to do something for him. He's always inviting us to his round table to sit at the banquet and have a banquet with him. But because as Christians, you know, we don't want, you know, we want to do our own thing at our own time. Um, you know, that Holy Spirit keeps on nudging us. So we tend to, you know, have that break in fellowship with, with, um, with the Lord. So moving on to verse seven, it reads, the watchman who went about the city found me. They struck me. They wounded me. The keepers of the walls took my veil away from me. So here, um, you know, we can tell, you know, you can see, um, back then, like this was over 3000 BC, you know, in the streets, the streets of Jerusalem were not safe to actually, actually to go out there. The watchman, this is a watchman who's supposed to defend and protect, um, you know, people like the Shulamite girl, like the bride on the streets, but that was not the case. And, um, you know, with, you know, if you look at it today, we're powerless on our own. You know, we cannot make it on our own um, without Christ. We cannot go on our own and say, oh, hey, you know, um, um, how, how, you know, I'm going to manage and, and, and go out there on my own and, you know, do my own thing. I don't need Christ. Guess what? Christ is the solution to all the problems in our lives. So we actually need God every day, more than ever, every day in our lives. And he's knocking, you know, at the hearts of our at the doors of our hearts, um, for us to actually open the door for him. And, um, scripture goes on to read, um, I charge you, um, sorry, uh, scripture goes on to read, um, the watchman went, who went about the city, found me, they struck me, they wounded me, um, the keepers of the walls took away my veil, from, my veil from me. So, you know, you find the Shilamite girl was going around and asking, um, you know, have you seen my beloved? Have you seen my beloved? So this also relates to, um, you know, as Dr. J.V. McGee put it, you know, when we're trying to give the gospel out to people, you know, we should have some tact. And how do we present the gospel? Um, we should have some tact to it. Um, instead of, you know, you just go out there and trying to, to shove it down somebody's throat and, you know, you, you put off the person and you offend people. So, you know, how do we approach people? Do we take, um, you know, a lowly place and, you know, a humble, lowly place? Do we weigh the situation? Uh, you know, we need to give people a little bit of appetite before we actually present whatever we have to present. So we need, um, to have some tact, um, you know, as they're, you know, nowadays you find, you know, there's a lot of liberalization. So you find a lot of opposition. So, you know, um, today you have to, you know, you have to have a little bit of tact when, when presenting, um, this, the, the word of God. So, you know, you also find, you know, many instances, you know, people tend to reject the word of God, like say, um, you know, you find a lot of preachers are actually, uh, rejected by their own board, you know, members in a particular, um, um, in church, like, um, they're demoted from certain positions because maybe they come out too strong and, you know, it, 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 it depends on how you actually present the word of God to the people out there. So look at this Shilamite girl. She went out in the streets and looking for her beloved and she, she was struck. She was wounded. You know, her veil was actually taken away. So, um, verse eight, um, this here you find, um, you know, um, 
now the 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 Shilamite girl um you know charges the daughters of 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 Jerusalem you know it's it's a back and forth you know she 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 sings and 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 um they sing so it's an um antiphony so um you know the Shilamite girl the, the Shilamite girl sings and um the 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 daughters of Jerusalem sing back so um verse 8 goes on to read I charge you O daughters of Jerusalem if you find my beloved um that you tell him I am lovesick. So she was the Shulamite girl was looking for her, her, her beloved everywhere. And she was she was lovesick. She was in love with her beloved. And um she was looking for him everywhere. And she charged them to she charged the daughters of Jerusalem to say, if you find him, tell him your bride is looking for you and she is lovesick. So the response from the daughters of, of the daughters of Jerusalem are like um is it goes like this in verse nine. What is your beloved more than other beloved? O fairest among women, what is your beloved more than other beloved that you so charge us? So, um, you know, who is Jesus? You know, they, they are asking the Shulamite girl, you know, is your beloved more fair, you know, better than other beloveds? You know, you're, you're a fair maiden. And um, what is your beloved um, more than other beloveds? Like, who is this person who, 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 who has actually taken and stolen your heart? Who is he? So, you know, um, if you and I ask ourselves, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus to me? Who is Jesus? Um, you know, the daughters of Jerusalem um, are answering her question. Like, after she charged, she charged them, like, if you find my, my beloved. Um, you know, there's been a lot of questions asked um, in, you know, in today's contemporary modern setup, there's been a lot of questions asked, you know, who's Jesus? And a lot of people, you know, tend to portray Jesus as this rock star savior. When that's not the case, Jesus is a lot more than that. So, you know, today we have to make a decision. Who is Jesus to us? Who is our savior? Who, who is this um, king of kings and lord of lords? Like, who is he to us? You know, he is beyond words. He is beyond expression and um, you know, verse 10 to verse 16 has, you know, our Savior has been described in, um, you know, the most purest, the most wonderful, the most lovely form that you can actually think of. For me, this, this text was the most beautiful description of our Lord and personal Savior that, you know, um, I have read so far in the Bible. So um, it goes on to read, um, my beloved is white and ruddy, chief among 10,000. His head is like the finest gold. His locks are wavy and black as a raven. His eyes are like doves by the rivers of waters washed with milk and fitly set. His cheeks are like a bed of spices, banks of scented herbs. His lips are lilies, dripping liquid myrrh. His hands are rods of gold set with burial. His body is carved in ivory inlaid with sapphires his legs are pillars of marble set on bases of fine gold his countenance is like lebanon excellent as the cedars his mouth is most sweet yes he is altogether lovely this is my beloved and this is my friend o daughters of jerusalem this is beautiful this is a beautiful description of our lord and you know of our lord and personal savior he is my friend you know God is our friend. He is our beloved. He is altogether lovely. You know, to me, God is altogether lovely. He's everything, um, everything beautiful, everything lovely that I can actually think of. He, 
I can't even find the words to actually describe who my beloved is, who my Lord and personal Savior is. So he was perfectly human. He wasn't a perfect human, but he was perfectly human. And he is altogether lovely. So who is Jesus Christ? To me, Jesus Christ is altogether lovely. All the beautiful things I can actually think of. Um, and, you know, he is my joy. He is, um, he is everything to me. And, um, yeah, this scripture, beautiful scripture, beautiful text. And, um, you know, ask yourself, who is, who is Jesus to you? You know, is he altogether lovely? How does Jesus make you feel? Does he, does he satisfy you? Does he give you joy? You know, go out there and do service for the Lord. You know, the Lord loves you. Um, he loved you before you actually loved him. And yeah, so this is, um, this is Jesus to me. And um, yeah, this is today's scripture. Beautiful, beautiful text. Beautiful scripture. I hope you all enjoyed it as much as I did. Thank you all for listening in. Have a pleasant Thursday and God bless and bye-bye.